Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This is the Tom Hartman Program. A uh, North Texas hospital has been denied their request to the state for additional assistance. They are overwhelmed with COVID. Texas and Florida, those two states account for one-third of all the new COVID cases. Six southern red states account for more than half of all the new COVID cases in the United States. Carolyn Vandegrift for writing for the uh, CBS local, the Dallas-Fort Worth CBS affiliate. Hospitals in North Texas say they need hundreds of additional staff to deal with a surge of COVID-19 cases, but the state has denied their requests for emergency personnel. This is really grim. Meanwhile, the Texas Republican Party lost one of their uh, senior officials, Scott Appley. He was a member of the, of the uh, state Republican Executive Committee, the very top level of the Republican Party in Texas. A week ago, he posted on Facebook five days ago, anti-vaccine messages. He's been doing this for five months now. For five months, regularly on, on Facebook, Scott Apley had been publishing stuff about, you know, masks are a hoax and, and don't worry about COVID and the vaccine is dangerous and all this kind of stuff. You know, he died yesterday of COVID. But the kicker is that when the Republican Party put out their, we're sad to say that Scott Apley has died, that kind of stuff, they never once mentioned that he died of COVID. That said, if you don't think the right-wing sites are basically circling the wagons and pumping out every single day the meme of the day, just check this out. This is from uh, Tuesday, August 3rd. These are the headlines over at thewriting.com with an R, not a W. Thewriting.com, they summarize, basically their top news headlines from the far right for the rest of us is their slogan. The Washington Times headline, COVID-19 has brought out the face mask Nazis. World Net Daily, the vaccine isn't working. Big league politics, top Biden advisor admits most face masks are not very effective. PJ Media, high noon of the Delta variant panic porn corral. In other words, every, pretty much every story on Tuesday was about how the Biden administration is trying to hype fear around coronavirus. Go back another two weeks ago. This is the July 15th, the writing. Here are the headlines again from these same publications. But see, keep in mind, this is a one day window. Wall Street Journal, critical race theory is a hustle. Daily Caller, teaching critical race theory devalues college education even further. Ann Coulter, critical race theory is complex. Oh, who are we kidding? National Review, forget critical race theory. I don't trust elites to teach basic civics. Red State, U.S. Naval Academy steams full speed ahead on critical race theory. Town Hall, reverse racism and other lies liberals tell. OQ Report, BLM blames America for Cuban suffering. Big League Politics, BLM organizer accused of molesting 62 kids. Fox News, Pentagon leaders are trying to hide the truth about illegal immigration. It's all about race. Just subscribing to the writing gives you such an incredible insight, a window into the right-wing media architecture of the United States. Clearly, every single day, a major talking point is going out to all these folks or is being publicized someplace. And that becomes the talking point of the day that everybody writes to. It's just mind-boggling. Kylie in Marietta, California. Hey, Kylie, what's up? Thank you for taking my call. I have a comment, and then I have a question. My comment is, to me, the vaccine is just like stopping for a red light, because it keeps all of us safe. It's just following a rule to keep everybody safe. Amen. Yeah. And masks, so too. Yes, yes. So I don't, I don't see a problem with that. But if the Delta strand, I know it's more contagious, 
because obviously the percentage is going way up. But why isn't the news reporting on how many people have passed away from that? They used to do the death rate. And I used to think that, you know, just hearing the death rate was more frightening than all the arguments because it was like, this is this is what's happening and this is the result. Mm. But they're not reporting on that now. They're just saying, oh, it's more contagious, it's more contagious. But th- is it as... There's, there's two variables here to, to pay attention to, Kylie. Um, the first mm-hmm. is that we're really only about two weeks, not even quite that, into the widespread, explosive spread of this contagious Delta variant. People are starting to show up in hospitals. Typically, the way it works is you get infected, you're sick for a week or two, and then, and then it, it either goes away or it breaks into a really severe form and you go to the, to the hospital. You're in the hospital for a few days or a week, and then it either gets better or it gets worse and you get intubated. And then you're intubated for a week or so, and then either you get better or you die. So the whole process can last about a month, and we're only two weeks into it. So we're not yet seeing the deaths, but they are coming. They are coming, you know, a week, two, three weeks down the road. We're going to start seeing those hospitals right now in Florida that are, where they're starting to pack people into the hallways because they're running out of ICU beds. Um, pretty soon you're going to see the refrigerator trucks pulling up out back. That's going to be a few weeks down the road. So that's one variable. The other is that uh, to determine whether it's the Delta variant or not is a completely different process than just testing for COVID. Testing for COVID looks for a particular protein that's on that spike, you know, that's on that virus. It's, uni- it's common to all of the various COVID viruses. If you want to find out if this is the delta variant that a person has you have to do you have to do the full you have to basically uh, look at the entire genome of the virus and that's expensive that's time consuming and that's one of the reasons why we don't have good numbers yet on what percentage and, and only a very small percentage of people who are tested are actually tested in a way that could reveal which variant they have so we've got enough numbers to have public health information but not the specifics This is the Tom Hartman Program. Our book today in the Tom Hartman Book Club is Under the Influence, Putting Peer Pressure to Work by Robert H. Frank. And I'm reading from the prologue. That we are more closely connected to one another than most of us realize is an old idea. An important variation dates from 1929 when Hungarian writer Frigis Karinthi published a short story entitled Chains. Two of the story's main characters speculate that any two living people can be connected by a chain involving no more than five acquaintances. That some such chains exist is hardly surprising, since most of us can think of people in distant locations to whom we're connected through a small number of intermediaries. The man-bites-dog aspect of Corinthians' conjecture is that almost any two people, A and E, could be linked by a chain like A knows B, B knows C, C knows D, who knows E. One of, the most, one of the first systematic attempts to test this claim came in the 1960s with a series of experiments by the psychologist Stanley Milgram. In it, he sent packages containing a small booklet to 96 people chosen at random from the Omaha, Nebraska telephone directory. His cover letter asked them to try to forward the booklet to a specific residence of Boston, Massachusetts through a chain of personal acquaintances. He told them the name and address of the Boston resident, that he worked as a stockbroker, and that the first person in their chain should be somebody they knew on a first-name basis. Milgram also advised them to choose someone they believed, presumably based on the target's location and occupation, could be socially closer to the target than they were themselves. Subsequent recipients in the chain were asked to forward the same instructions. Many of the Omaha recipients undoubtedly tossed Milgram's booklet in the trash, so it's remarkable that the Boston target received 18 of the 96 packages. The average number of links in the 18 chains was 5.9. But the now familiar expression, six degrees of separation, would not gain broad currency until many years later, when John Guare's play by that name premiered on Broadway in 1990. The concept became a meme in full when four Albright College students introduced six degrees of Kevin Bacon in 1994, a game designed to measure the professional proximity of an actor, living or dead, to the American film star Kevin Bacon. An actor has a Bacon number of one, for example, if he or she appeared in the same film with Bacon. Someone who appeared in a film with another actor who appeared in a film with Bacon has a Bacon number of two, and so on. The average Bacon number is 2.95 among actors who have one. 
In that group, even the actor most distant from Bacon, William Rufus Shafter, has a Bacon number of only seven. Shafter, a Union Army officer during the Civil War, appeared in two films in 1898. For academics who study social connectedness, the Six Degrees concept gained little traction until 1998. That's when the sociologist Duncan Watts and the mathematician Steve Straga published their landmark paper, Collective Dynamics of Small World Networks in Nature. In the years since then, this paper has provided the mathematical foundation for the analytical tools that social scientists have been using with such remarkable success to study how ideas and behaviors spread through populations like infectious diseases. It has already been cited by other scholars more than 38,000 times and is one of the few papers ever published to be among the most widely cited works in multiple disciplines. In his 1976 book, The Selfish Gene, the evolutionary biologist Richard Dawkins coined the term meme, which Webster now defines as an idea, behavior, style, or usage that spreads from person to person within a culture. The meme is to cultural transmission, Dawkins argued, as the gene is to biological transition, transmission. One of Charles Darwin's central insights was that natural selection favors genetic variations that enhance the individual organism's ability to survive and reproduce. Much of the time, the same variations also benefit larger groups, but often not. For example, an inclination to cheat when no one's looking might benefit individuals, but widespread cheating almost always makes matters worse for groups. It is the same with memes. The memes that propagate most successfully are often ones that benefit both individuals and groups. But here too, not always. As the legal scholar Jeffrey Stake has argued, ideas should not be treated as inert products, but as living things that sometimes exert some influence over their environment. Some of the ideas are more adept at surviving than others, and the ones that survive will not necessarily be good for humans. It is often hard to evaluate whether a specific behavior even qualifies as a meme, and if so, whether its consequences on balance are positive or negative, yet sometimes the evidence is clear. We know, for example, that the strongest predictor of whether people will take up smoking is the proportion of their close friends who smoke. Smoking is thus clearly a meme. The negative health consequences of smoking are also conclusively documented, and most smokers themselves express regret over having started. By definition, then, smoking unambiguously qualifies as a socially destructive meme. On the other side of the ledger, we have compelling evidence that the adoption of photovoltaic solar panels is both socially contagious and almost uniformly positive in terms of environmental consequences. Accordingly, few would object to calling the practice a socially beneficial meme. Adam Smith, widely considered the father of economics, is often cited in defense of the claim the competitive markets produce the greatest good for the greatest number. The book is Under the Influence by Robert H. Frank. Jessica is watching us on Free Speech TV in Chicago. Hey, Jessica, what's up? Reason I called, I love to give out handcuffs on a Friday. Trump is staying in New Jersey at his golf course. He doesn't like the way Governor Death Sentence is handling the Delta. So let's get him in handcuffs now while he's easy to catch. Last night I saw something amazing. One of Moderna scientists was saying how they're twinking the vaccine to fight against the Delta variant now. Mm -hmm. Every vaccine company is working on that. Right. And I'm just so happy. And also, Moderna, they're about to come out with for six-month-olds to 12-year-olds, and I just love little kids, so I'm so happy for that. It's going to probably come out in the fall, maybe winter. But I'm so proud of all the scientists helping to keep us safe. Yeah, I'm with you. It's a major, major accomplishment. I mean, this, yeah. is, this is historic. Yeah, it would be amazing. I know all the North, Northern people are going to get there. Like my neighbors, they want to get their kids vaccinated right away. Yeah. So, well, and it's the key to opening the schools. I mean, this, this all is... All of the vaccines. I'm just incredibly proud. Yeah, yeah, me too. And, and, and this is, I mean, you know, now that we know that this Delta variant is as contagious as chickenpox, I remember chickenpox. I mean, you know, you didn't get past the second or third grade without getting chickenpox. It was impossible. Chickenpox just was in, it was everywhere, you know, every year when it came around. And uh, it looks like that's going to be the case with COVID. 
Of course, chickenpox very rarely killed people, but you know it's largely wiped out now because we've been vaccinating against it. Uh, you know, hopefully this can end up the same way. It'll it'll just be something we see right. in the rearview mirror. I wish people would get vaccinated so badly. I say the the alternative is death. I always tell people that aren't vaccinated because I try and get them to get vaccinated. Yeah, good on you. Well, and Biden was on TV this morning. He was talking about, you know, there was over 900,000 jobs, 950 some odd thousand jobs were created in the last month, which is a really good sign. Of course, that was before the Delta variant swept across America, three out of the four weeks of that month. Basically, he came right out and said, he said, if we're going to sustain any kind of economic recovery, we have to get everybody vaccinated. And of course, not sustaining an economic recovery is exactly what the Republican Party's strategy is all about. But sadly, it looks like they're shooting themselves in the foot. It's the red states that are being wiped out. And, you know, they don't contribute that much to the American economy anyway. <laughs> California alone is one sixth largest economy in the world. Bill in Clifton, New Jersey. Hey, Bill, what's up? regarding the COVID vaccine IDs. From what I understand, this is a totally owned program by the federal government, the COVID national emergency. So everything that is part of this that the government paid for belongs to them, including the ID cards. I think what they should do is to make it recognized that any federal ID supersedes any state ID and that it could be used for voting. The problem with that, Bill, and this is why, you know, Republicans push through this whole real ID thing where you get a little star on your driver's license. I think Oregon right. is the I last know. state not to do it yet, is that that does not, you know, that they're they're not only not asking your citizenship status when you get, get a vaccine, but they're going out of their way to tell people, we will not ask your citizens. In, in fact, if you want to come in and give us a phony name, that's fine. You don't even have to show ID. So I don't think that's going to be the winner. I know, but Tom, I think that the uh, Real ID Act works in our favor because it asks, uh, it came out of the 9-11 Commission and it asks for all states to have a standardized security thing so they all look alike now. Right. And they do because this, the government can, uh, told them to do that. And they can tell them that the uh, vaccine... But you don't want to make a citizenship requirement to get a vaccination bill. What's that? You don't want to make it a citizenship requirement to get a vaccine. You don't need a citizenship requirement to to get a vaccine. No, I know that. And that's why I'm saying it wouldn't work as a voter ID in those states that require a citizenship test. I'm not in favor of those states doing that. Just like a passport. Yeah. No, I I get your point. I get your point. Um, And and by the way, I would say that, you know, you're saying that the federal government owns the ID cards. Um, It doesn't mean that they have an exclusive on them. I have a vaccine ID right now through Clear, clear clear.com, and you can get them for free. I I subscribe to Clear because I used to fly a lot. But, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, and what they did when when I uh, took a photo of my vaccine card, my vaccine card, Mm -hmm. they checked the database for the state of Oregon. You know, if uh, because if you do give them all your data, and that's your choice. I chose to. If you do give them all your data, then you go into the state database and, uh, you know, people know who you are so, or, or they can verify your vaccine status. Bill, I'm going to move along, but, you know, it's an interesting thought, but uh, I, don't, I don't think that uh, we're gonna, it's going to work as a voter ID. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Just head over to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. 
Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Bob in Asheville, North Carolina. Hey, Bob, what's on your mind? Hey, Tom. I live in, obviously, West North Carolina, and it'd be nice to be able to sit here and just look at Florida and think, well, they're nuts down there. But right now, half of our population in West North Carolina is uh, Florida tourists. And really? when the color season starts, oh, they well, they're summer homes, and they come up here all summer long uh-huh. to visit the mountains. Yeah. And then when the colors start in the color season, they swarm here. You huh. cannot be out and not see 50% plus more Florida tags. And when the color season starts, those same folks will be from Bama, from Florida, will be going up in the chain of the Appalachian to enjoy the colors in these rural areas. And these rural areas have tiny hospitals barely keeping afloat. Yeah. So if they bring all those variants up this way and, and start the same, and we're already at a high risk. We've got a, a, a pretty serious uh, blow up ourselves here. Yeah. And then you throw in college football with traveling and these stadiums wide open. No DeSantis is not oh, going yeah. close as college yeah. football stadiums. We're in for some serious explosion of this. With, I, I have a feeling, uh, Bob, that as this is starting, this this Delta variant is starting to rip through red counties and red states, uh, but uh, red counties, it's happening here in Oregon. The the we, There's a whole bunch of small counties in Oregon that we get a daily report from the state um, that breaks it out by county, number of diagnoses. And we've got red counties with one-fifth the population of, of the county where I am in, you know, Portland, Multnomah County. Um, just uh-huh. tiny that have, you know, way more COVID cases than we do here in Portland, because we're probably 80, 90 percent vaccinated in Portland, which is why the state is right. over 70 percent. So um, I, I think I think things are going to change. Bob, I, I want to get some more callers, but thank you for the call. I, I, I wish you the very best. That's got to be tough. Lee in Gillette, Wyoming. Hey, Lee, what's on your mind? I'm in the Army. I just uh, was calling in. First off, I'm going to tell you I enjoy listening to your uh, programs every day. Well, thank on- you. XM radio, mm-hmm. but I am one of those uh, registered uh, crazy Republicans. But I just wanted just to let you know that um, the army. I've been vaccinated. I'm one of the senior leaders, and uh, we we uh, get vaccinated for almost everything from anthrax to you know. Mm-hmm. So it's gonna it's gonna eventually you know every soldier is gonna have it. I just every soldier eventually will have the. Uh, vaccination. Yeah, Lloyd um, Austin, right now, our, our defense secretary, said he's going to make the decision in a matter of days, he said yesterday. You serve in uniform and you sign the dotted line and if they, if the government, if, if the military tells us to take the vaccine, every soldier will be vaccinated. Um, I just think the conspiracy, I listened to some of your listeners and the conspiracy of the QAnon. I was at the state capitol, I mean not state capitol, at the national capitol for the inauguration, I was one of the soldiers there, and uh, you know, um, it was an honor to be there. You know, it was mm-hmm. pretty cool. Even though I'm not a Democrat and I don't believe, you know, I don't agree with some of the uh, same situations, but we're there for one purpose: is to protect every American. It doesn't matter if you're a liberal or you're a conservative. God bless we're, you. Man. We're there to, pro- yeah, we're there to protect, and it doesn't matter if you if you want to be an idiot, conservative. Or a liberal, and you want to protest and uh, peacefully, that's fine. But if you want to destroy destroy people's livelihoods, then that's when you deserve to get a butt stroke to the face. So yeah. I just feel that you know, you know, you know, at the Capitol, I also feel like we should be in every every state, every state that have protests, be there to help the police, the first responders, to be there to help them protect them. 
To, yeah, there, uh, there to, is a problem there, Lee, and that's the the whole posse comitatus thing. You know, after after the Civil War, we we basically passed a law saying that never again will the American military turn its gun on civilians, and I think that's a really important line of demarcation to respect. I get, you know, the yep. National Guard is sort of a hybrid uh, between military and civilian control because they're under the control of the states, but they can be federalized. But, but everything else you said, I completely agree with, and, and I think, I thank you. Thank you for the call. It's a very thoughtful call. James in Little Rock, Arkansas. Hey, James, what's up? I was wanting to build on the comment that you had from the military religious freedom organization, foundation fellow, and the call you had with regard to checking um, the background on soldiers, military personnel, who would not get vaccinated. I think you need to limit that, but I think you can build on that in the sense that uh, when I was in the service, I had a top secret clearance, so I had to go through some extra checks. So if they limited that just to the people with top secret clearance, so they could easily justify that, and you might find some problems with the military personnel that are now presently serving in the, the military. Well, I think that suggestion was something that you could probably apply to police departments, to the military, um, you know, to any of these military or quasi-military organizations where, where you are concerned about the infiltration of white supremacists and QAnon believers. And all you have to do is find out who's not vaccinated and just ask them, why are you not vaccinated? And if they're a Jehovah's Witness, you know, if they've got a legitimate or a Christian scientist, if they've got, you know, some kind of serious religious thing, then cool, no problem. But if what they're, if they start spouting weird conspiracy theories about baby parts and changing your DNA, then you know you've got a problem here <laughs> with this person. And they either need to undergo deprogramming or they need to be out of the police department or out of the service. I, I, th I thought that guy, who you know, our caller earlier, who suggested that, that was absolutely brilliant. James, I got to run, but thank you for the call. Um, uh, I, I get it that you think that it should only be people with top secret clearance. That would be a good place to start inside the White House, you know, inside the, the executive branch also, outside of the military. Wynn in Solon, Maine. Hey, Wynn, what's on your mind today? Well, I just um, thought I'd call and talk about the third COVID shot. When this COVID stuff first started, I was the scientist calling in saying, hey, testing, testing, testing. Well, I went out of my mind when essentially no testing was done in this country. It was driving me nuts. So when they finally did get the vaccines, I went and got the Moderna shots, and I got the two of them. Mm -hmm. And I was so... I was elated, okay, this is cool, but then my good feelings about everything gradually, day by day, being diminished and diminished and diminished because of the stupidity of everybody not getting COVID shots right. in this country, half the country, you know. Right, surrounded by idiots. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm just going nuts, you know, and I says, you know, here I am, I'm over 65, I've got risk factors, you know, these guys are going to keep keep us from getting past this. So when, yeah, forgive me for hurrying you, but we got 20 seconds, what did you do? So so I finally said, that the heck with it, the, I don't want these shots to go bad without getting a third shot. So, because they're just gonna be thrown away and these idiots aren't using them. So I went down, I got a third shot hey. yesterday. No <laughs> problem at all, um, no ID, and these people are more than willing. You didn't have to BS them about who you were or anything. You just said, "I want third shot," or you just you just pretended like it was your first shot. I didn't pretend. I just said, "I'm here to get a COVID shot," and they said, "Fine." Boom. Told huh. no lies. I would encourage anybody that can and is willing to do it to go to, ahead and do it to do the same thing. <laughs> Especially in the southern states where it's it's just going nuts, and a lot of these vaccines are going to waste. When I totally get it. Thank you. Thank you. Sharon in Minneapolis. Hey, Sharon, what's on your mind today? What's on my mind is why huge corporations in Florida, you know, like Disney, are just allowing, they, they, they seem to be silent with Ron DeSantis. I call him uh, Ron Indecent. But uh, I'm just wondering how come they're not saying anything and allowing him to let, this, let the Florida state go financially bankrupt yeah because that's going to eventually happen we have to send so much money 
down to Florida because of their hurricanes, their tornadoes, their, their floods, and they're leading the nation with this with the infections, and we're going to be sending a lot more money down there. Yeah, I am and guessing. It seems like it, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm listening. Okay. I am guessing that DeSantis is betting on herd immunity again. This was their big bet last uh, August, September, October last year, that uh, eventually enough people would get infected in, in a state or in a region that uh, the infections would start to level off and, and even go down because of so-called herd immunity. Herd immunity, though, yeah. is a phrase that the vaccine industry developed back in the 1950s and as a way of measuring the efficiency or efficacy of, of vaccines. And so we'll see, but England, several countries now, England and India both got whacked by this Delta variant really badly. And then their case, their, their new cases started going down. In England, they've got over 70%, they're, they're approaching 80% first vaccination, 70% full vaccination, they're well over. And so that may account for it. Or it may just be that, you know, it is so contagious that so many people got it so quickly that they are getting close to herd immunity with the combination of vaccines and just general infections. And I'm, I'm betting that DeSantis is betting that that's the case. And in fact, he said a couple of days ago, it was either him or one of the people that works with him, that they're expecting that pretty soon the vaccine, the um, the new cases are going to start to level off. And when that happens, when the, when the new cases in Florida level off or start declining, he's going to claim victory. He's going to say, see, I told you, here we are, we're hitting herd immunity. And the question is whether all the people that died in the, and, and ended there up with long go. COVID in the, way, in the process of getting to herd immunity, uh, it, you know, whether the Floridians are going to forget that and say, oh, yeah, okay, DeSantis won the war. We had a few dead soldiers, but he won the war. Or are people going to say, you know, it, uh, we had, you know, we had to lose 20,000, 30,000 Floridians in order to get to where DeSantis wanted us to be when we could have just vaccinated everybody and, and throw the mm -hmm. bomb out. And I don't know how that's going to play. I mean, this is unique to Florida politics. Patsy in Arroyo Grande, California. Or is it Grande? Patsy? Grande, yes. Grande. Hey, what's up? I uh, was born in 1940, so I'm 81. So for the first 15 years of my life, we didn't have a polio uh, vaccine. I had friends that got it. I had one friend that died from it. But, you know, my our parents, I think, were from this World War II generation, and they had this, like, we're uh, all in it, in it together attitude. Mm -hmm. So, you know. Yeah, you know, if the public health came by and said you had to do this and that, you know, close the pools for some reason or other, they had a, a an idea back then that water transmitted the polio. So, you know, they closed the pools. They they wouldn't let, let us, you know, play in sprinklers, you know, mm -hmm. stuff like that. So when the vaccine came uh, along, everybody was just more than happy to, you know, send sure. their kid in to get the polio vaccine. And I had a friend who actually uh, got it in his face, and he got that turtle face that Mitch McConnell has. And he seems to have, he grew up with the Is that from polio? Yeah, uh, Vince McConnell had, had polio, childhood polio. Huh. Yeah, I looked it up, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but it was the same turtle face thing, but he also grew up with that same lack of empathy that I wondered if it affected his brain. Huh. That might be a little more of a stretch, but uh, although it is a neurological disease, I mean, that's how polio attacks is through the nerves. Amazing. Patsy, thank you. Thank you for sharing your, your story with us. What a fascinating day. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Picking up your phone calls, your thoughts. Tom in McDonough, Georgia. Hey, Tom, what's on your mind? I'm really distressed how the media is portraying that having a mask or having the vaccine, actually having the vaccine, is a panacea for all to be able to go anywhere, do anything, not social distance, not with a mask. And here's why. I had my Pfizer shots April 12th and March 5th. And on July 17th or 16th, I got covid and I was deathly ill. But you're not dead. I'm not dead. And I credit that to the vaccine. Right. But my point is, I was, when I was trying to get my COVID test, I was out and about sick trying to get a test. 
No one would test me because I had the vaccine and mm-hmm. I was spreading the disease. You're right. And so my point is. Well, this is why this and, is why they're saying everybody should wear a mask, because, you you know, if you were wearing a mask, you would spread a lot less of that disease. That's right. And I agree. I was wearing a mask, so I did spread less of it, but I did spread it. But I want to add that, you know, I'm a conservative and I tell everyone to wear the mask, get the shot. You know, God bless you, you, Tom. Don't want it. You don't want to be the one that gets it. Yeah, yeah. This is just public health. This is not progressives versus conservatives. This is public health. Damn it, Tom. Thank you. Thank you so much for the call. Thanks for listening to us on SiriusXM. This is the Tom Hartman program. Our book today in the Tom Hartman Book Club is Health Justice Now: Single Payer and What Comes Next by Timothy Faust. And this is from the introduction. A secret scream rings through America. It rings down the sterile fluorescent hallways of our hospitals. It rings over our rural towns and our native reservations. It rings through our prisons, the bellies of our great cities. It rings in our farms and our fields, our streets and our sewers, our bodies and our blood. And we are cursed to never hear it clearly until at last we realize it has been our own mouth screaming and we are lost. A child born today inherits, in that secret, a new American squalor, the skeletal remains of the American cities, the bleached bones of the American suburbs. This secret is a birthright of continual exploitation, pumped for labor and drained of cash and then punished for the resulting suffering, punished for being hungry, punished for being sick, punished for being pregnant, punished for being poor, punished for being black or brown, punished for being queer, for being unlucky, for being. At the base of that suffering is lodged a little truth, like a knot in the stomach. In America, sickness makes you poor, and poorness makes you sick. This is a book about that relationship and why it happens, and why it's unnecessary, and what we can do to fix it. The cosmic whirling of God's great slot machine has not determined that some people are fated to suffer while others flourish. We have the resources to take care of everyone, and yet we refuse to do so. Your medical debt and medical bills are unnecessary, but we have chosen to make them necessary. These are structural problems with structural causes, and many of them share roots in how we pay for health care. This is a book about health care and health finance. They are different. Health care is anything that helps you stay safe and healthy. It's a kind of freedom from and within your own body. Health finance is the method by which we as a country pay for that freedom and by which we decide who gets to have it and who doesn't. Health care is more than what happens to you in the hospital. Health care is whether your home makes you sick or your food makes you sick or your environment makes you sick or whether you have enough money to afford the things that keep you healthy. In America, the structure of corporate health care has convinced us that some people deserve health care and some people don't. This is a book about that corporate health finance, about private insurance and private insurers. For half a century, they've convinced us that they're the only things that keep us or could ever keep us from the utter financial ruination of illness. They've sold us different inadequate insurance plans and persuaded us that this is a form of great liberty while chipping away at our freedoms for profit and holding our bodies and our children's bodies hostage. This is a book about single-payer health care, a health finance model in which we pool our abundant collective resources to provide health care to all people. It is a common model across the world. As we will discuss in this book, we have the potential not just to enact a single-payer program in America, but to build the greatest health care program among any so-called developed democracy. Here is my profession of faith. I believe beyond any doubt The single-payer is demonstrably sound and imminently feasible. I believe a properly ambitious and well-structured single-payer program will do more than any other American social program of this generation to soothe the burns, to resuscitate the spirit, to nourish the moral will of the American people. I believe it will loosen the loathsome manacles of American health finance, an exploitative institution that profits by plundering from us our own bodily autonomy, and that anchors the larger exploitation that holds those whom we love as captive leverage to guarantee our servitude to abusive employers or domestic partners, to those who seek to dominate us both in the office 
and in the hospital. I believe this nation owes its people, whose labor has created its rich banquet, the safety and agency of health care. I believe this health care is greater in scope than that which happens upon an operating table. I believe that housing, food, income, and more, the components of basic human dignity, are health care. And I believe our work is that of striving toward justice for all people. And I therefore believe, I have to believe, that single-payer health care is our moral imperative. Single-payer is our tool. Single-payer is our weapon. Single-payer is our first step. But single-payer on its own is not the goal. This book is about health justice. Healthcare is personal, so I want to start this book personally by introducing two friends of mine, Steve Way and Kyle Kolick. They're two guys about my age, I'm 30, who live in North New Jersey. They're sweet, gentle people and probably the most charismatic pair of friends I've met in my entire life. They make me laugh until my face hurts and we like watching pro wrestling together. They're also being utterly broken by our American healthcare system and it's keeping them from living their lives. Steve has muscular dystrophy. The muscle and tissues that hold his body together are eating themselves. He's doing pretty good, all things considered. He beat his original life expectancy of 18 and now probably has a long life ahead of him. Steve needs a wheelchair to move and a ventilator to help him breathe. The book Health Justice Now, Timothy Faust. A new year is a new chance to focus on you. You're probably already picturing yourself struggling at the gym, but not all self-help has to mean suffering. Squeeze.com is making it easier than ever to elevate your wellness by delivering a juice cleanse right to your doorstep. It's the easiest juice cleanse you'll ever do that may aid in weight loss, eliminating bloating, clearing your skin, boosting your energy levels, improving sleep, and breaking bad eating habits. Meet all your health goals from the comfort of your home. Get free same-day local delivery or fast free delivery nationwide with code WONDERY today at Squeezed.com. Melanie in Bullhead, Arizona. Hey, Melanie, what's up? I am the mother of a 56-year-old developmentally disabled adult who lives in a group home in California. Mm -hmm. After 14 months, he was finally allowed to go back to work. He was in a van with four other adults, and they would go from park to park with a power washer and clean the bathrooms. Mm -hmm. On Monday night, the lady who runs the home had a discussion with the driver, and the driver freely volunteered that she was not vaccinated. So she calls me and says, Woody, how do you feel about this? And I said, well, I'm not comfortable. How do you feel? She said, I'm not comfortable either. I have a house full of clients and employees that I need to keep safe, and this is not safe. So we got my son on the phone, and we talked with him and explained to him what was going on. And I said to him, I said, what do you think you should do? And lo and behold, he surprised me. He said, I need to quit my job. I said, that's a wise decision, son. I'm very proud of you. That's a very wise decision. I said, this keeps you safe and everybody else safe. This was on Monday. So Wednesday, I get get a phone call. He's in quarantine. One of the other adults that were on that bus, not the driver, but another client, has COVID, and he is now in quarantine. Oh, my. I'm sorry to hear that, Melanie. I don't know how this was allowed to happen, and I'm, I'm going to deal with this, but we were talking last night, and I was telling him, I said, do you know what the governor of Florida is doing? He is going, he's telling the schools that if you're going to require kids to mask, we're not going to give you any money so you can keep the schools open. Do you know what my son said? He goes, Mom, that's stupid. <laughs> Your son is smarter My than Ron DeSantis. My 56-year-old developmentally disabled son is smarter and has more of a grasp on this COVID situation than most of our politicians do. Yeah, at least our Republican politicians. Uh, well yes, said. exactly, exactly. Yeah. Just wanted to share that with you. Well, thank you, Melanie. That's uh, 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 a great Unbelievable. story. Yeah, it really is. And I, I wish you the very best and your son the very best. I hope it all works out. Thank you for the call. Ronnie in New Berlin, Washington. Hey, Ronnie, what's up? Piggyback from an earlier caller. She had called saying that she had had polio earlier in her life. Mm-hmm. I've told you about my mom. I see her every Sunday at church. Uh, she's 87 now, um, refusing to get vaccinated. She oh, had no. polio when she was 20. And I reminded her of all that and still adamant not to. Um, it's, 
just crazy that, I, I mean... Does she watch Fox say, News, yeah, we, Oh, I'm sure, yeah. yeah. She doesn't have any internet. Um, uh, and then our local paper is has always been more of a right-wing slant to it. Mm-hmm. But I think that she doesn't even read anything in the paper that has a headline of COVID. Because last week I mentioned, you know, the, the Delta variant is... Uh, it's running rampant and it's way more contagious. And she was like, what? Mm-hmm. what? What's that? So she's not reading it in the paper. And I don't know, maybe Tucker Carlson isn't uh, talking about the Delta variant. But Probably it's not. so frustrating. I mean, she had polio. We don't have polio. And, of course, then her argument was, there's still polio. There's not a lot, but there's still polio. And I'm like, yeah, because a few places don't vaccinate, you know, because they think, and my husband is in Rotary, and that's Rotary's number one thing worldwide to get rid of polio. And those two nations that aren't doing it, it's because they think that the world is trying to sterilize their children. So that's why Afghanistan and Pakistan don't do it. But uh, for my mom who lived through polio and who now she had it in her legs, so she doesn't walk very far. She gets tired fast. She still has the repercussions from that. And she just thinks the virus is fake and the vaccine is untested. Uh, she is so it's, far up the Republican wormholes. Uh, it's, it's so it's frustrating. It's got to be incredibly difficult. Ronnie, uh, thanks yep. for sharing the story with us. I, I'm sorry to hear it, but thank you very much. Dave in Federal Way, Washington. Hey, Dave, what's up? Hey, Tom, real quick. I just want to say that when we uh, removed the Taliban government back in uh, 2000, one, um, they started a shadow government right away. The problem oh, really? is, just, yes, just like just like is, Trump is doing. The nature of their shadow government is to um, because they knew the threat with a democratic um, Afghanistan was the people might be happy, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what they did is they started a shadow government to see how they could replicate all that stuff without, um, you know, conforming to democratic norms. And yes, it's exactly like the Trump administration. So they're rehearsing to pretend that they're a democratic government and figuring out how to corrupt a democratic government the same way Trump tried to corrupt our government. Yes, and in Afghanistan, uh, the problem is, is okay, it's all based on their interpretation of Islam. I mean, and, and, to, and to call, um, the, the burden is on the government, because right, one government official, let's pick one, Karzai, for instance, he does something un-Islamic. I mean, it condemns the whole government. You no, know, I, the, I, the, I, the I get it. I, I get it, Dave. Yeah. And, and, they're, and they're playing the same political game that the Republicans are in the United States. Dave, thanks for the call. Dennis in Aptos, California. Hey, Dennis, what's on your mind today? the COVID vaccine trackers here in California as of today. Mm -hmm. San Francisco, Marin, and Santa Clara counties are over 70% vaccinated. San Mateo and Alameda and Contra Costa, they're between uh, uh, 60 and 69. Monterey and Santa Cruz, and I live in Santa Cruz, we're at 52 to 60. Uh, the uh, and that's true of LA and San Diego. The outlier is San Luis Obispo County. They're under uh, they're under fifty one percent. All the Central Valley, my God, most of it is just like we're talking thirty percent, twenty five percent, less than twenty five percent. And of course, that's where the rednecks live. That's where the Trumpanzees live. Uh, they live in the Central Valley, and they live in the in the Sierra Nevada foothills. Most Californians, of course, live live either in the San Francisco Bay Area or the or the Los Angeles and San Diego area. And you know, it's good that we've been vaccinated a lot. Although I would say that going to a San Francisco Giants baseball game is going to be safer than going to an LA Dodger or San Diego Padre game. I, I don't talk about the American League because they have designated hitters. <laughs> but yeah, but but just to just to look at the levels of vaccination in the local communities. You know, before Delta came along, the the conventional wisdom in the scientific community was that seventy percent vaccination would establish herd immunity and stop or s- radically slow transmission of the virus. It looks like all bets are off, though. I mean, you know, the the you know measles is. I think it's got an R, uh, you know, a reproduction factor of around 30. 
and the original COVID was around, what, two and a half or three? Every, for every person who gets infected, they infect two, two and a half to three people. But it looks like COVID is around 17, 18, 19. I mean, they're still figuring out all these numbers, which, and, and that's why with measles, because it's, you know, so contagious that you've got to have over, what, 98%, as I recall, 97 or 98% vaccination in order to establish herd immunity. Whereas with, you know, a disease that's got an R value of three or four, you can do it at 60 or 70% of, of, uh, of uh, vaccination. But it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. Dennis. Well, here's, here's the thing. I don't hear anything from Newsom about putting those tears back in. I kind of wish he would. Um, I think he's right now trying, probably trying to avoid getting kicked out of office. That's got to be well, coloring a lot of his activity. Yeah, well, Democrats need to step up to the plate oh, and, uh, you know, vote, vote no on the recall. But, uh, you know, you know, right now, uh, Monterey and Santa Cruz, the Monterey Peninsula and Santa Cruz, we're getting a, tons of visitors uh, every day, really. And, uh, you know, most of them are coming from the Bay Area. So I don't feel too bad about that because the Bay Area is uh, greatly vaccinated. Uh, people go coming in from other places, whether it's the Central Valley or whether from other states that have low vaccination rates. You know, again, I mean, what, what do they say? One person can infect 10. Right. So I'm a bit worried now. about yeah. that. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, I agree. And, you know, the, well, I, I really think that the Biden administration is moving in the right direction. I, they've been moving slower than I would like, but I get the, the insane political pressure that they're getting, you know, from the hard right and people, you know, fools like Ron DeSantis. So, you know, we'll see how it shakes out, but uh, I think we're moving in the right direction. Dennis, thank you for the call. Esther in Skokie, Illinois. Hey, Esther, what's on your mind today? I'm a nurse a mastered nurse and i can tell you that what people should be doing and i just had my titer taken the level of antibodies i had my shots in march and this he is said the fingerprint test is still where they, very high. the titer is the level of antibodies in your system how immune you are essentially to COVID. correct and we're going to do it again in october to make sure that it's still high we'll have something to measure it against is what you're suggesting esther in response to the guy who just called and said he went in and got his third shot by just simply not revealing that he'd already had two that probably he should have checked his antibodies first to see if he needed it correct it's probably was a wasted shot right but on the other hand if you live in a part of the country where this where they're literally throwing away shots I can understand the rationalization of it's going to go to waste anyway. But, uh, you know, that said, it looks like people are starting to wake up. Esther, that's fascinating. Thank you so much for the, uh, for the medical information. I appreciate it. Katie in Kirkland, Washington. Hey, Katie, you have a son in Okinawa? Yes, I do. Number three son. Wow. Um, so I just spoke with him the other day. And he, when you leave the prefecture, which is like our state, when you leave the, uh, the prefecture, you need to be tested when you go back to work and he works at a graduate university in Okinawa and so he needed two negative tests before resuming work and when I spoke to him the other day I said so did you get it you know na up your nasal cavities and he said no we spit in a cup and I said really I've never heard of anyone in the states doing that and I have not had a need to get a to be tested mm -hmm. So I don't have any experience with the up the nose, but uh, I've never heard of anyone spitting in a cup. Do you know, I realize you're not a medical professional, but have you ever heard of that in the United States? I saw a story in, um, I forget where, but, but you know, in, in acceptable mainstream, <laughs> mainstream media, as it were, you know, a story that had been vetted um, that suggested that there are spit tests coming. There are several companies developing them. Um, Louise and I bought a couple of the uh, Binax tests, Abbott Laboratories mm -hmm. tests. You can buy them for like, they're like 25 bucks. You can buy them online. In fact, we've got a couple of them sitting here in the studio for if any of us, you know, gets a sore throat or any symptoms. And uh, I tried it. I did it. I did one of them. And they no longer have to go way up your nose. They, you just do it a half oh. inch into your nose. So it's not painful. Oh, okay, okay. It's not even uncomfortable. So, uh, you know. Uh, know. Yeah, and that might be why the spit tests are not, uh, you know, they're not getting real hysterical about getting them out there right away because the, the up-the-nose tests are now more tolerable. Okay, great to know. Okay, thanks, Katie. TJ in Jacksonville, Florida. Hey, TJ, what's on your mind today? It's like you enlist in the military. Right. You do not just take a job. You enlist, and you take an oath. 
you are giving your body to the U.S. military, and it is the U.S. military's job to keep you alive while protecting the country. Right. So when they say you need to get vaccinated, that's not a request. Right. Well, and, and also when you when you join the military, you surrender essentially your constitutional rights. You are no longer subject yep. to constitutional law. You are now subject to the Uniform Code of Military Justice, the UCMJ, which doesn't respect things like the right to free speech or the right to privacy, for example. They respect it in the, in the big picture. But when you're talking about the U.S. military, no, no, you're special forces. All of you are special forces. I don't care if you're in the Army, the Navy, the Marine Corps, or, or the Green Beret, or whatever. You are special. You have special privileges with the military, but at the same time, the number one thing that you signed up for is you will take care of yourself, you will take care of your team, and you will always be ready. Always ready. Always ready to deploy. There you go. Always fit. There you go. Always taking good care. So that's what you have to, uh, you know, in order to wrap your whole mind around what the military means when they're picking and choosing different things, that's that's number one right there. Very well said. TJ, thank you. Thank you. That was just a, a brilliant and clear explication of the whole thing. I, I appreciate that. George in Portland, Oregon. Hey, George, you're on the air. What's up? Hey, Tom, um, you were asking how we think it's going to go down. You know, I, I believe that Trump's idea is that he is a, you know, appointed lifetime dictator. I think, you know, uh, his supporters, the traitors that attack the Capitol are on board with that. And even some of his Senate allies, like the wingnuts, are on board with that. Jim Jordan, Marjorie Greene, Matt Gates, etc., um, and I think they're going to steal an election in broad daylight, and they're going to hope that the court sides with them. And if it does, yeah. you know, it's over. I think that I, I don't just think that's their strategy. I mean, they're they're just they're saying it out loud. They're passing laws to allow this to happen, at least with regard to the electoral college. And that's you know, of course, the big prize. Trump lost the electoral college by seventy-four votes in the last election. He lost the popular vote by 7 million, but it was 74 votes in the Electoral College. And if they could just, you know, get a couple of, of uh, Republican-controlled states that are becoming swing states like Georgia and Arizona to change their laws, maybe even Texas, to change their laws so that the state legislature can just say, well, yeah, everybody voted for the Democrat, but we're still going to send Electoral College uh, representatives, electors to Washington, D.C. On, on behalf of the Republican. Um, all bets are off. I, I agree with you, George. Thank you very much for the call. And it alarms me tremendously. And I think if we don't do something about this soon, we're going to be in big trouble. Chaz in Lakewood, Washington. Hey, Chaz, what's up? Can I give you guys a quick note on uh, the word republic before I get into my little rant? Please. Okay, look, the word republic just means we're not a monarchy. If you want to be compared to republics, you're also asking to be compared to the Republic of Cuba, People's Republic of China, the Socialist Republic of Vietnam, the Islamic Republic of Afghanistan, the Islamic Republic of Iran, or the legacy of the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics. Spasiba, comrade. Right. But, or the Republic of North uh, Korea. Thank you. I think it's time for a COVID-19 summary perspective with your indulgence, uh, Professor. Go for it. First time I ever heard about it was on your program. Even then, you considered the possibility of grave foreboding, and that was two years ago. We could have been past this pandemic. The longer this proliferates, the more chance of variants, the longer our economy is dampened, the longer the world lives in a dark age. Even if COVID doesn't kill you, the long-term effects will... We don't know how long it lasts, or you could pass it on to someone immunocompromised and never know. Right. Over a billion people are fully vaccinated. At least two billion have had at least one shot. I was vaccinated last February, and my race hasn't changed. Bill Gates hasn't stopped by, and reptile skin isn't bursting out of me. The back side yet. effect is mild and short term. <laughs> yeah, yet. The back side effect is mild and short term, usually a day. But the side effect of COVID is death. Did I get that all right, Tom? Yeah, you did, Chaz. And, and uh, I, there was an article yesterday, and I, again, this is uh, given how there are so many men who are driving this anti-vaccine train. Uh, literally every single caller who's ever called into this show, 
uh, with some anti-vaccine hysteria has been a man. Um, this study that found that one third of men who got symptomatic COVID have erectile dysfunction as a consequence of it because <laughs> of the blood clots, you know. And, I, I and, wish I'd have gotten that before I had my two kids. Now, yeah. Tom, they actually an gave it. A, it actually has a name now. It's called COVID penis. Amazing. <laughs> it sounds like something you would get on a uh, Chinese uh, menu. You, you need to tell now, that to every. Oh God. <laughs> you need to tell that to every man who is uh, an anti-vaxer. It's just uh, incredible. And I, I sent you an article about uh, uh, anti-mask um, uh, uh, backlash about uh, now. You know, people are getting disgruntled that because other people are getting. I went to the commissary yesterday. And I, the mask mandate has been restored, and I'm sure I'm not the only one that's suffering with this. But, yeah, people who just choose not to wear masks are making this longer and worse. Yeah. Commissary, are you in the military? Yes. Well, retired military, yeah, four oh. in the Marine Corps, and then uh, 16 in the National Guard. Uh-huh. Therefore, all the foreign languages? We are a global nation, Tom. I really do believe that what makes America the most amazing country in history is the fact that we have, with some success, been able to incorporate uh, other voices. I think that I've said it in a college class. If the room is full of white males, we don't have any new ideas. We need new ideas. Yeah, yeah. Uh, The great melting pot was the phrase that I grew up with. And I think it's a good thing. You know, it was always presented as a good thing. Chaz, thank you. Nice to hear from you. And uh, fascinating to get to know you better. Thank you. It's the Tom Hartman program, Viagra for your brain. And if you get COVID, you're going to need it. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 